want you to listen. Then what? Share it. The Melbourne Youth and Social Workers Group and the Knowledge on Tick podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Boonarong and Wurundjeri people, their elders past and present. We would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the land, her children and our families. We would like all of us to show respect for each other, Mother Nature and the creatures on the land and the sea. Hey everyone, the Melbourne Youth and Social Work Facebook group would like to welcome you to the Knowledge on Tick podcast. We are Josh and Nat and we will be your co-hosts for the potty. Knowledge on Tick is a podcast offering real-life conversations and insights every week with workers in the field covering a range of topics surrounding the youth and social work world. We are so grateful to have you here and happy listening. Back to another episode of the podcast. Before we get into this week's episode, we'd like to take an opportunity to talk to you about The Incremental Project. The Incremental Project was founded by Daniel Cocker, who was featured on episode four of the podcast. The Incremental Project provides youth-based programs in primary and secondary school settings and out-of-home care. Their respectful relationship program is aligned with the Victorian Department of Education and aims to support young people to improve their relationships and transition to adulthood. The primary school program, called Mythbusters, and the teenage uh, program, which is called Rated R, create a safe and inclusive environment for young people to experience real talk. The A-Week program explores topics such as change, emotions, communication, violence, and the effective bystander approach. Participants individually and collectively build their emotional intelligence through the use of multimedia, games, activities, role plays, small and large group discussions to explore the world of respectful relationships. If you want to find out more, check the show notes. You can also uh, have a listen to episode four of the, of the podcast where Dan talks a little bit about this. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, also, if you're interested in helping fund the podcast, please check out buymeacoffee.com forward slash knowledge on tick. You can donate as little as $3. You can donate $3 a month for a year. Think of it as buying us a coffee, buying us lunch, petrol to a podcast, uh, or even helping uh, host the podcast online. Enjoy the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. I'm Josh. And I'm Nat. And this week we're joined by Brendan. How are you going? Yeah, good, thanks. Good to be here. Thanks Thanks for for joining us. We appreciate your time. I think uh, through our questions we'll come to learn a little bit more about you, but we'll hit you with the questions to start off with and then we'll go from there. Yep. Awesome. Perfect. So the first one is, what was your first ever job? Um, My first job was in the family business. Um, so we, my family had a cleaning business and so I was in charge of, uh, ashtrays, bins and toilets. And, um, we had the cleaning contract for Gordon house, which, um, was the sort of top shelf homeless shelter in Melbourne in the late seventies and early eighties. Right. Yeah. That's a good gig. Yeah. Pretty good. Mm. Mm. So that was my intro into sort of welfare was to have the run of the place which is pretty amazing but that that's my first job is in you know i didn't really apply for that mm. the mm. first time that i went for a job i walked down to the local news agency in clifton hill and got a paper round which oh, nice. was a big deal yeah 
Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And so, you know, for $3 a day, I got up at 5.30 in the morning and rode my bike around dangerous areas in Collingwood uh, to deliver papers. Yeah. You know, before school. Mm. Yeah, right. Mm. And a really important job. Really important. It is because yeah. I actually get quite distraught if I go to check my mailbox and the, like the catalogs and my yeah. like the little things that we get delivered aren't there. I feel like a part of my routine is missing. Like I really quite like looking at the catalogs and going through yeah, them yeah. and the paper. Well, and... mine was the classic. Like you get to the newspaper shop early and then you fold up your newspapers, elastic band around, and put them in the crates, and then you just go down the street and you piff them. Like yeah. piff bang at doors and like you're having pot shots from yeah. crazy positions you know yeah around the back and that so yeah that was my that was my first job love it i've always wondered this because these days you pay a membership uh, a subscription and mm. they they still do the paper around out the car though yeah it's so, like but, glad wrapped sort of, now <laughs> yeah. yeah but back when you did it did everyone get a paper it didn't matter what was it like a herald sun sort of thing or was it like a local paper you had to pay right so ah. it was the herald in the afternoon yeah sun in the morning and mm. the age was for like communists you know widows mm. in my area so yeah. um yeah, and you pay the news agent whatever your okay. fee, you know, the cost is, and you get it delivered by the deal was that it'd be on your doorstep by 6.30. So you yep. wake up, newspaper. Yeah, mm. but obviously a lot more back then compared to now. Yeah. Well, yeah, everyone got them because, yeah. what, you know, we didn't have anything. Yeah, yeah. you're not going on yeah, social so media to check it was a big deal. In fact, I would often come to school holidays, so I'd do my paper round, and then go at Clifton Hill Station, there was this little green box that I'd be in for people to grab their papers on the way to work. Mm. You know, and everyone would be, it was a big thing. Mm. Yeah. I but, remember even when I was little, my nan has religiously and still religiously gets the paper delivered every day. Mm. And I, that used to be my favourite thing when I'd stay at hers when I was little was, oh, yeah. she gets the paper delivered, you can go out and get it. And it'd come in the glad wrapping, you'd have to like peel it apart and then yeah. roll it the other way to try and yeah. get it straight again. And yeah. yeah, I liked it. Yeah. I always wanted to do it when I was younger. It but. was good, right? But it made me, like now, I just never want to set an alarm to get up. Mm. I right. hate it because I spent my childhood with, you know, like it seemed to be a long time of 5.30 getting mm. up and then being stressed about what if I sleep in or, yeah. you know, like yeah. I was like 10. Yeah. It's crazy it's a big responsibility. that it was okay to just be out and about. Like no one's up. And yeah. I'm just cruising around Hoddle Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and particularly the area in which you're cruising <laughs> yeah, around right, as well. Yeah. It's not like this yeah. fine and dandy sort of really Well, not quite then. It. Now it is, but mm. no, then it wasn't. No. Mm. Very yeah. different. Yeah. There you go. Uh, if you were a WWE wrestler, mm. what would be your walkout song? That's it. This is a tough one, right? Yeah. What would be my song? Quietly, like... I would play some music for myself that meant something inside that would convince me I can go out and do it. And it would be about music that um, was sort of like self-talk to me, you can do this. But I, I wouldn't be able to resist, you know, in The Simpsons when Homer goes out to fight like the Mike Tyson <gasps> equivalent and he plays Why Can't We Be Friends? Yeah, yeah, that'd, yeah, yeah. That would be my go just because I couldn't resist the gag. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I um you're right. I find it really tricky because I'm quite similar to you. I think I, I like I like to like calm down to my music or like amp up if I'm going yeah, yeah. somewhere. So for me, all of the songs that I was trying to think of to be my walkout song were just too like casual or inspirational yeah. or a bit whimsical. And I was like, yeah. but they really mean something to yeah, me. Yeah. But it's not something that I'd yeah. I'd be more pre- just pre- fight for. hit that internally because I'd be I wouldn't want to. It's not for everyone else. Yeah. yeah. But then I'd think this is an opportunity for a gag here. So yeah. just. Go for it, you yeah. know. And I love that in the 
in The Simpsons, you know, coming out to Why Can't We Be Friends is just a great yeah, to Mike Tyson. song to, yeah, to go, you know, I'm about to enter the ring, don't hurt me. Yeah, That'd please don't hurt me. Go, I think. Mm, for sure. Yeah. The next one is if you had to change careers, what would you do? Uh, well, I've had to change careers mm. along the way, right? So, and I've been able to just move from welfare and education, and I've found that I run my own business now, and I've found that. I can do whatever I want, right? Mm. So um, as long as you're happy not to work from time to time, you know, you just do what you want. So, but if everything fell apart and I had to do something really different, I reckon I'd be a netball coach. Nice. Yeah. I've got three girls. I watch a lot of netball. Yeah. And, you know, I've dabbled, but I reckon that could be my calling. Mm. I quite like netball. Never played. I'm not. Yeah. Um, athletically inclined yeah. <laughs> would probably be the way I'd describe myself. But all my friends played growing up. I quite like the game itself. Yeah, I like it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I played it, netball when I was younger, like primary school and stuff. It was a mm. fun game. Yeah, it's I a really like netball. And I like watching it too. Yeah, yeah. I can mm. appreciate that. The but, footwork. Yeah, but yeah. people, uh, why I'm interested in it is because people continue to do the same sort of things. Mm. I'm always interested in sort of doing things a bit differently. Mm. And I'm, you know, so I'm all about, I think I could go into netball and create zones and yeah. stuff like that that would, you know, it essentially ruins the game, but you'd have a lot of success. <laughs> yeah. You'd win a few trophies and ruin the game along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Fair call. I could do that. I like it. We'll keep an eye out. <laughs> yeah. Brendan Morris well, netball team. Yeah, that's if everything goes to shit. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, keep an eye out not. for that. Yeah. Keep an eye out for that. Fingers crossed. Well, otherwise it could be keep out, keep an eye for like the under 16, you know, local, local netball coach. Yeah. Yeah, be, yeah. That could be the, the first Well, step. I've done a bit of that. I've done a bit of that yeah. already because you always, you know, like as a parent, you get sucked, sucked into in. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. For sure. Uh, could you tell us about a time at work that you've made a mistake and what have you learned from it? Uh, I make mistakes all the time. Mm. So I miscalculated my drive today <laughs> is a starting point. I'm, I speak too openly. Um... So I make mistakes regularly, but I just let them go. Mm. Uh, the biggest mistake I've made in work is that, um, you know, I went to the Supreme Court once mm. to give evidence on behalf of kids that were in prison in Barwon. And I, I didn't sing like a canary mm. and I felt sick about it afterwards. I tried to do the right thing by everyone. You know, I was like my bosses and the I was on one out. Um, giving evidence on behalf of the kids and I tried to sort of do the right thing by the government and my bosses and um, sort of the politicians mm. and I tried to do the right thing by the kids but afterwards I just thought you know you you can justify it in your mind that oh the the lawyers didn't specifically ask me the right questions because I don't know the right questions to ask so I answered the questions as best I could mm. but I knew that I could have said sorry do you mean this yeah and spoken up on behalf of kids and I didn't I felt really sick about it so I thought to myself oh, I'm not going to do that again mm. and so I just make sure you know from that so I, I felt like I had let people down yeah. and it's not how I wanted to be but I'm sort of like um, sitting on the fence a little bit and it just doesn't matter mm. like you don't need to do that. You should just speak up for people 
who don't have a voice. Mm. Yeah, so I rectified it, but it was a lesson learnt that um, I learnt that so kids were found to, based on largely on my evidence, mm. that the state had engaged in cruel, degrading and inhumane punishment of children mm. and unlawfully detained them. And they were ordered to go back to Parkville or Malmesbury immediately. Mm. And the government said, oh, no, we, we're not going to do that mm. because there's nowhere to house them and all that sort of stuff. And I said, oh, yeah, there is because I was privy to those sort of meetings. And, but I still, I could have sung a lot more yeah. and, I, and I held it all in. And what came out of it was the government just kept the kids in there anyway. And I thought, and I was stood down for misconduct. And I thought, fuck, I should have just, why didn't I just speak up? Mm. And so I thought, I can't ever let that happen again. So I, I won my misconduct case with mm. the government and then had all these investigative journos ringing and I said, look, I'll, I'm happy to do 7.30 or Four Corners or whatever, yep. but under one condition that you air it on the night of the next trial. Yeah. So that, you know, sort of the nuclear option mm. and I've sort of made amends mm. then. So I just learned you just got to speak truth to power and it doesn't matter what the consequences are because usually people in power that, abuse power it's temporary that they're holding those positions and i've seen it they've come and gone yeah and um they they're not going to be in as fortunate a position as i am yeah mm. they've got to live with that mm. and i um i don't yeah so much better absolutely mm. and you're and there's a thousand things i want to get into mm. with that but we'll finish off the questions and yeah, then okay. get into that more mm -hmm. so the last question is what are your self-care strategies and do you think you implement them well yes yes is the i'll go to yes i implement them well so my number one is uh so this is a bit of an unorthodox way to think about it because i do a lot of work with people on what are your well-being strategies yeah your self-care plan and all of that um Mine is that I've got to, my work, um, I've got to believe in it. Yeah. That's number one. So I've got to have conviction. So I don't do work that I don't feel good about. And I don't do work for people unless um, I admire them. So I won't work for someone if I don't like them. Yeah. So they're my two. That's pretty good. That works well for me. So then I'm every day that I work, uh, I like what I do. So I feel good about myself. The usual ones, you know, uh, that, you know, I've got to get a good night's sleep and I've got to not drink too much. And But they're ones I'm always working on, mm. right? But the ones that I don't miss on is that, you know, I only do work that I like, mm. um, that, that I feel good about, that I believe in. Um, yeah, and I make sure that what I'm doing is of benefit to others. So if I'm ever feeling like I feel sort of fucked, I feel flat, I don't look inward for, I need to go for a run or do a, um, you know, a mindfulness sort of thing. Yeah. What I do, what I know I need to do is something good for others. Mm. That makes me feel much better. And mm. I accept that's who I am. Yeah. So if I get too much into me, uh, it doesn't go so well. But if I think to myself, um, I had a, oh, you know, like today I was in Geelong and I'm stuck in traffic and I'm invited to do a podcast and it's in Dandenong. 
I could get really stressed about that or I could think I'm coming to do something that might be worthwhile. Maybe someone listens to this and it's a good thing. My other one is I like to have a beer every night. So I know people, you don't, a lot of people don't want to hear that, but <laughs> but I, I like it because it helps me shut off from work because I know if I have a beer, that's it for emails. I'm not going to yeah. email anyone. I'm not going to do phone calls. So that's like my cutoff mm. and that makes me stop with my family. I don't drink more than one beer. I have one beer. Mm. But that's it. That sort of like tools down properly. Mm. So they're my sort of three things I'd say to people that if you ever get into a privileged position that just do what you want to, you believe in, you do that. Um, having a beer is great. Mm. Like, you know, you don't have to just think to yourself, I'm stressed and stuff, so I've got to become a vegan and do a marathon. You don't have to do that. Like, it can work. Yeah. Yeah. But also that if you accept who you are, a lot of people in welfare, the reason we do the work that we do is because it actually, there's something that drives you to um, help others. Mm. So do it. Make a phone call to someone that's going to mm. give them a lift. And that, that's better for me than sometimes going for a run, even though I need to do that stuff. But I'm wise enough now to know, do something for someone and you feel good. Mm. I think um, I really like that you said have a beer, to be honest, because I think there's definitely a perception within um, the field that that can be a negative coping yeah. mechanism. And, and look, yeah. if you were going home and drinking a slab of beers every night, that is a bit of an issue. That is going to have yeah. repercussions, mm. you know. Um, but Especially I think... drink a slab of beers to cope. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. not yeah. to shut off. Uh, like... yeah. <laughs> I, I worked in resi when I was young and it was 48 hours on, 48 hours off, you know. Mm. And the 48 hours off, I was on the drink. And it was to cope. Yeah. And because I still hadn't worked myself out and you're in high risk sort of, mm. you know, trauma saturated sort of environments and everything's fucked. Yeah. And so I really did just smash myself. Mm. And it's, yeah, then it's not healthy. But, you know, you work out along the way that you've got to be able to manage stuff and moderation mm. is the key. And well, and I think anything in excess is going to be poisonous to you in the same way that, you know, um, you might have a beer, I might have a wine, mm. you know, Josh might go for a run, that's easy mm. at the moment. But if you were running to an unhealthy level, sure, yeah. that can yeah. have a detrimental effect would. to you mm. as well. Like you could, it could be obsessive, it can be inappropriate. Mm. So I think anything to excess can be inappropriate. I think sometimes we need to normalise yeah. some things. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned resi. Mm. Do you tell us a little bit about how you got into the field? Well, you see, I, um, my, so my family were cleaners in mm. homeless shelter. So it, it became Hanover's, but it, it was huge. Like Gordon House was that place to go for homelessness. And so that was a part of my life. When I turned 17, I worked behind the bar there. So I had a duress alarm. And I was behind the bar and I had people, you know, coming out of lockup who I would say at 11.30, that's it, your sherry's done, yeah. right? And so I, I was in that world and I actually played Aussie rules footy and I was thinking to myself while I was playing, I don't, this isn't for me. I was at Collingwood. Most people would like that, but I thought, no, nah, I want to do, this isn't what I want to do. Are you saying you got drafted to Collingwood? Mm. Yeah, I played for Collingwood. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, not oh, drafted. Wow. I grew up locally. Yeah. I played in all their stuff. But, yeah, yeah, I went on to the senior list there. There you go. Yeah. And I retired once I got onto it, right? <laughs> um, because I wanted to do other things. I had I thought about different things, right? 
So footy wasn't everything for me. And I wanted to do stuff for others. So, I don't know, someone, I knew people, someone was in resi and, I mean, who's not going to take someone to do resi, mm. right? Valid. You know, so I went into, I picked up a kid from Parkville, my first shift. I picked them up, just we, me. Is that back, when are we talking here, like, ni- what 90, would that be, 90s? 90. Three, okay. So this is probably like Tirana then. Like, is it at that uh, point, or did it yeah, kind they had of different names? The units had yeah, different names. So yeah. Bradman was a kid coming out of Bradman yeah, instead right, of okay. South Bank, right? Sure, sure. Right. Whatever the names were, but it was I, I can't remember what it would have been called. Probably Parkville, Tirana. I don't know. Yeah. But I've forgotten over so many years of going in and out of there. The only reason I ask is because the history of the place is quite interesting to mm. me. Like having worked there, and mm. then there's because of the names that it's gone through and the old part, which ended up becoming some office space and stuff. But for a while, as you look at the front of Parkville over to the left, there's some big offices, like a big, what looks like a big prison building. But you can, you probably walk through there too. I'm not sure. But MPU? Yeah. Right the, well, but, uh, if you go even further left from the MPU, oh, yeah. where they ended up doing like, um, like all the, sec- not the security guys. The, like it was white lines for a while. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. you can walk in there yeah. and you can see like there's bars yeah, on the yeah. windows That's and exactly. like, um, uh, um, bathrooms and, and um, toilets where they're all yeah. they're all the showers in a row, yeah, yeah. like in a movie of an yeah, old right. prison, you know. And they used to because there's stories of how they used to have like 20, 30 kids Correct. in That's one right. big space in a room, and mm. like you kind of what you'd imagine is just stereotypical, horrible, like, hey, horrible, yeah, horrible, yeah, and so different from now. So that's why I was curious, just because it's quite interesting. Yeah, I think so it's really it, interesting. I reckon it was probably, um, it, it wasn't people in. You know, thirty people in that old brick building. There were units. Yeah, sure. Um, like Eastern Hill and South Bank were sort of there. So, yeah. but anyway, you know, I picked up a kid and go home, and you're all of a sudden, as a young person, you're running the show, and then you know, you a couple of years after that, you're doing the on call as a youth worker, and you've got ten houses now, mm. and every now and again, you get a phone call from I did from someone saying. They've got a knife and <laughs> I'm, you know, like, and I'm like, okay, open the window. Well, you know, like I'm thinking at four in the morning. Yeah. Like, so it's pretty full on. And so, yes, yeah, so I did resi, but I realised with kids that I'd be taking them to schools who were just not letting them in. Mm. You know, and I'm like, fuck, if you knew what this kid had gone through, like give him a shot. Mm. And I was doing deals to sit in classrooms. I'll help, you know, do and, and then I, I just thought, you know, what I reckon I need to do is, so I thought about the long game. I reckon I need to get a teaching qualification, do my study, get a teaching qual and set up schools for kids and try and match Scotch College, never with the money, but with approach yeah. and regard. So that's what I set about doing. But I went into teaching then thinking, I'm not going to waste my time teaching in classrooms. I'm going straight to set up schools so that exactly these kids get a shot. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And even to think, like you said, you know, if you think um, the stuff that these young people have been through or lived through, even for a young person living in a residential unit, say they've got class at 10 o'clock 
what's existed within their life from 6am that morning until getting them to school yeah. is traumatic enough sometimes, oh, let alone looking at their whole story. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been there trying to get kids to school and, you know, yeah. it's mayhem. Things are being smashed, staff have locked themselves right. in the offices, you know, it's just constant chaos. And then we're sending them to sit in a classroom and just sit down I know, and the cruelest thing is when you know that backstory, the effort that's gone in, the anxiety of the child, the the torture that's going on in their mind and the the incredible effort and then you get them to the school and you can get take your hat off oh. and uh, and the kid goes fuck you and yeah. it's over and you're like oh my god <laughs> like yeah no yeah so that that's the killer mm. right you're yeah. late oh no don't do that oh yeah. you've got don't. the wrong socks on is one yeah, i used yeah. to get all the time <sighs> socks yeah, I used to take a young person to school all the yes. time and she'd get reamed for having so, the wrong coloured socks on. That, and I would sit there being like, they're fucking socks, what do you mean? That'll definitely hinder your ability to learn. No, I know, yeah. it's yeah. crazy, right? Yeah. Only purple socks help you learn. Yeah, yeah ridiculous. Sorry. Now I'm just thinking of rainbow socks in my head. Right. <laughs> uh, so went from resi, yeah. got your teaching degree. Yeah. And did some pretty cool stuff mm -hmm. yeah. in opening schools, handpicked and got to Parkville yep. um, to start Parkville or Parkville and Malmesbury. Um, mm. It started at Parkville, didn't it, with the college and then you yeah. expanded? Yeah. Yeah. And I think if I could ask before. Sorry. That's okay, no. But before Parkville, you started the Pavilion School, is that oh, right? Yes. Yeah, so what, what I did, the day that I got my teaching, like I finished teaching, I thought, what am I going to do? And I had a mate working at the Salvos out of Flagstaff, so in West Melbourne. Mm. And he had adult release, adult prison release program. So it's called Housing Pathways Initiative. He said, fuck man, come and run this with me. And it was for men, so it was funded by Justice, and it was for people that were recidivist, homeless, but were really challenging within the adult prison system. And it, it then turned into like the multiple and complex needs yep. initiative, MACNI, yep. really intensive support clients, come and manage that. And I thought, yeah, actually, I like that. Mm. So I did that for a few years and it, it, it helped me understand the systems and government sort of initiatives and policy and funding and, and across all these areas of psychiatric disability, mm. youth work, um, you know, into justice funding, all these areas, disability. And, and I was in and out of, so from Thomas Embling to mm. Fulham Prison to back to Port Phillip. And, you know, after a few years, I just had a friend, Josie Howie, who was in the northern region of the Department of Education, who just called me up and said, you've got a teaching qual, haven't you? Mm. We're just about to have a crack at setting up a school for kids to get them off the streets we need a someone to lead it they've got to be a teacher would you come in and apply and I thought I just had my first child and I was doing the I'll stay at home which had taken some time and I thought this is really hard I better do something easy like set up a school or something <laughs> right because kids are hard right? yeah. so so um yeah Joe said come and apply and I applied and I got the job, but the job was we don't really know what to do. And I just had huge confidence from, you know, walking out into a street with someone who, like, 
you know, blokes that were coming out with such high needs are sort of like they stop the traffic and you've got to work out new plans for them and you've got to be able to be confident enough for how we're going to manage this in the community. Mm. And they're in and out of uh, high dependency wards and then they're forensic clients and everything's going on. You're at VCAT because the neighbours are like, want to lynch this person <laughs> for whatever they're doing. So you're all of a sudden, uh, I felt like I understood everything and I felt confident enough that, yeah, I'm good to go here and start a school. And the, the deal was, um, oh, you know, we, we need at least 20 kids by the 28th of February or this can't be funded. And I'm like, I'll go get them today. Yeah. I'll just go to Northland. I went to Northland. Yeah, I know you know, like as a youth worker, I was like, well, this is easy. Yeah. I just walked down the street and I, I remember this moment on the, it was like the second day we'd grabbed all these kids to come. And they were like, are you sure you're a teacher? Is this really <laughs> Department of Education? Because it's a bit dodgy, right? I'm on a pushy. And there was this, I remember there was this 16-year-old girl and she said, I've got a friend who's pregnant and so she's not going to school. And I said, well, can I speak with her and see if she wants to come? And she goes, oh, look how big I am, right? And I met her and I said, what if we got a porta cot Would you come? And she was like, are you serious? And we got the porta cot and she said, I know a few other people around. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we had people coming to knock on the door within wow. about five days. And so the pavilion, yeah, I ran the pavilion that's now a couple of campuses and it's about, uh, I'd say it's close to 15 years into mm. operation. It's a couple of hundred kids and always a waiting list. And it's become the sort of model, or uh, in a way, it's held in regard mm. because we, we did something a little bit unique in that, Josie and I, who started it, she was youth. We were both youth workers. We'd both done resi and, um, you know, like I was going to say step up. What do you call it? Lead tenant, yeah. right? So lead tenant and, and resi. Mm. And she did social work and I did education. And we decided it's got to be multidisciplinary. Mm. You've got to have that every class, every time we hire a teacher, we grab a allied health, yeah. you know, from youth worker to whatever. And, but we both had the youth work mindset from mm. the start and we understood outreach, yeah. the basics, yeah. right? But schools are struggling to engage with kids and I'm like, well, i got a tip for you. Walk out the front of that gate, keep going mm. till you get to their house mm. and then you say to them, do you want to come to school and what if I was nice? And you're, it's pretty easy. Mm. Yeah. Right? So and Pavilion went really well mm. and... Yeah, that, that meant then I got asked to come into the Department of Education to help in that sort of area uh, around the state for, for a little while. And then it came about that we got a bit of an issue at Parkville because what had happened at Parkville, which I know you know this, Josh. But no, there's no, plenty no, of people at, that don't. I don't. No, no, no but at, at Parkville, do you remember Beltara was the school in there? But they only looked after Barnett and maybe Cullity, hmm. 15 and under. Yeah, which and is it, the young men's, which is 10 to 14, yeah, Barnett, right. and then Cullity is the women's unit, which is 10 to 21 at, yeah. at times, yeah. But I think they would let the 15 and under girls in, right? But what had happened, this is what can happen in a system. In, in 2006, there was a new education act in Victoria, and it used to be, like, if you remember back, You'd hear you're allowed to leave school at 14, then 15, then 16, and maybe year 10 you're allowed to leave. Actually, what had happened was 
school became compulsory to the age of 17 across Australia. And, but someone forgot to tell everyone in custody, right? So what was happening was, you know, when the ombudsman came through in 2010, they were like, they put in three recommendations around education. One, that remandees were getting nothing, zero. Mm. And that there was a TAFE in there, so Kangan, mm. but it was a little bit like cherry picked who would come in, you know, depending on behaviour or mm. whatever. They had good staff, but it just wasn't to everyone. So yep. there's 1.3 million. They had a handful of staff there, so they're taken a bit back to home base. Um, and the kids, like, the the system was breaking the law by not providing registered teachers and curriculum for school. So that was my plan to go in and make sure that kids got... Um, you know, legislative requirements or what was on offer outside. And, you know, not everyone was down with that. I like that you said that because I was reading an article the other week and look, it was in quotation marks and said that it was a quote from you, but let's not believe everything the mainstream media put in your mouth. But it was, they were saying, you know, what's your plan when you go in? And, mm. and, and it was, for you, it was step one, get the custodial officers inside. It's true. Step two. Yeah get the custodial officers yeah. on side. And step three was the same thing. And, and it, you're right because they're integral to a part of that plan. Yeah. You can have the best system set up for young people to engage in education, but the people that surround them 24-7, if they're not in it to win it, that's right. no one's in it to win it. You're not going to get anywhere. That's right. So if you go to the Barwon case, yeah. right, so just on to kids going into Barwon, the reason that it breached the torture areas under our Charter for Human Rights is because the staff inflicted pain on them. Uh, dogs, capsicum spray, all sorts of shit. Held them off meds. This mm. was all, this is in the judgment, so I'm not talking at a school here, <laughs> even though I made a commitment to do so. Um, but, yeah, so it's the, the staff are the make or break mm. on anything. It says that in international human rights stuff, there's this, uh, this instrument called, like, juveniles deprived of their liberty, how you treat people. And it says number one is that you've got to have a workforce within custody who believe in these things, who are trained in this, who are qualified in this. And it's not always the case. So what has happened in custody is custody today, I'll just take a stab in the dark, that half your staff are agency, underqualified, overworked, 12-hour shifts, not eight, Ship pay, mm -hmm. so the people and and brutal is not a good system. Like recently, it was found there's fuck all operating model in there. Mm. So people are just brutalised and just trying to survive mm. in there. So you just got a chaotic mm. environment, and then you're lucky if you get, you know, every now and again, like you would know, Josh, who worked in there, you get a team of three or four of you, and you can have a good culture and everything goes well. But then that can be disbanded and. It's a big, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I definitely agree with what you're saying, and it's a it's a big machine that you're feeling that you're constantly trying to fix, yeah, and make better, and then something would change, and whether that was That's right. the team would change, or you get new staff in, or the dynamic in the unit because you'd have mm. one kid come and one kid go, mm. you know, it was just this, yeah, it was, it was a battle, and I and I do agree that there was the feeling of survival, not yes. only for the young people in there, but to an element of that for the staff as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. It's a very challenging. It's it's a br yeah. it's really difficult, and 
you have people above making decisions and the people on the ground know you have no idea how this is going to go with kids. You don't know. Mm. And so we were coming in as a school that's being imposed. So people are thinking, oh, this is, you know, you sort of resist it. What the fuck is this? And, mm. you know, some people thought, oh, you've got to be doing auto or hairdressing. Like, don't, kids aren't going to read, you know, or don't, you know, I got told that time and again going into part, the kids won't sit for 10 minutes. I'm like, oh, okay, we'll see. You know, it's, it was a real struggle. And some people in there don't value education that work in there because we don't have a, a base of qualification. It's not like you need a youth, you know, you don't need a qualification, mm. zero, to work in there. So, yeah. and you can get, you know, like, uh, look, I worked at Alice Springs for a little while in the, so the kids' prison. Mm. And the guy who was running it at the time, I asked him, he's running the place. What were you doing a year ago? And he said, I'm a, I was a truckie. Right, that's, <laughs> mate, great. Mm. But he's running the place and they were being yeah. found to, you know, engaging in torture. Yeah. So there's our problems that you, you don't... And, you know, in my experience that uh, there's the... Like, I obviously, I'm sort of, like, name-dropping laws and stuff because they mean something. Mm. <laughs> but Crazy, the, right? the Children, Youth and Family Act says that the paramount principle is best interest of children. Mm -hmm. So every decision made in youth justice must be for the best interest of that child, mm. not what's a better day for you. Mm. Not So, oh, we're going to move them units because we're um, they're colluding or... No, no, you've got to... But there might be a friend. So you've mm. got to be able to justify every decision. And I think that that's just lost on people that they just... It's not... You don't have the senior, like... The director and the boss is just saying uh, everything must be best interest everything must be so it defaults to you know sometimes when i talk about prisons that you won't find in the children youth and family act the word fence or barbed wire but we default to that yeah but no one says you've got to put up a wall mm. but we do it because the people that are employed you might get someone who's got a security background or who's a cop or who's you know whatever it came up through a prison system. But we're actually the safest place in our system that would have been over the last 20 years would have been open Malmesbury. Mm. And we say it in our heads, oh, that's because they're a little bit more mature or what, fucking no. Look at their crimes, they're brutal, mm. right? Mm. But it's hard to understand how did it function that we had an open facility and it was calmer? Because mm. mm. it's sort of counterintuitive. Yeah. It's like saying to a kid in custody, if you treat them well, they'll respond to it so people think no i've got to punish them i reckon so fuck i could go on about that forever but i'll let you run i wouldn't be offended I'll let you if run. you did i'll let you run the interview yeah i think something that you touched on and people there's probably people that don't maybe register what we're talking about when you refer to some young people going to barwin and i mean yeah. that by like they might just be studying or or it might not oh, have yeah. been something that they years were... ago now too yeah yeah, mm. yeah. Um, and so, I mean, feel free to take this off me, but a number of young people were engaged in a, what the media called a, a riot. Yeah. Um, and as a result of, like, depends whose opinion of, of you go with, but a, around um, managing them and Parkville not being able to house them, they yeah. were then moved yeah. to a unit in Barwon, which is an adult prison yeah. um, with pretty significant offenders. And I'm, I'm doing air quotes. Yeah. I, I keep forgetting that I'm not... Yeah. People can't see me. Um, 
and moved there to, to do their sentences, not of age, quite young, vulnerable, yeah. treated horrendously, really inappropriate move. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. You went in and saw, well, you, you weren't yeah. allowed initially, but you pushed to be able to see, yeah. I think, two in particular. No, no, no. I, we, we started a school there, so I, I was in there really quickly. Yeah. But, yeah, here's the here's the big thing. So, so you were like 95% right there. What What happened at the end of 216 was you sort of had this tinderbox of you had disaffected staff who were just treated poorly, mm. right? Mm. Agency staff are plenty. So piss poor recruitment. And the leaders in there, if you had to check their swipes, how many times they went in, the people on the biggest wages, you'd be really like, that'd, that'd tell you the story, right? So you have these kids that are um, starting to kick off and they're being locked down more because they're getting more and more into adversarial sort of stuff. So you get locked down more. So all of a sudden you get these riots. And so how do you deal with riots? If you don't understand youth work properly and you're really stressed and shit, you punish them more. Mm. And, it, and then they riot more. So anyway, just this ridiculous situation. So there was a big riot. There's no doubt about it. But the big riot, the Victorian police made a decision which... As far as I'm aware, they've done once before, which was when cigarettes were given up at mm. uh, MRC, yep. where they just let him go. So there was no control agent went in. So the police decided to let him go. And I thought, whoa, this is a big call. So mm. what are kids going to do for the next 24 hours? You're going to get a riot and you're going to get kids really hurt, which mm. is what happened. So um, in that time, I'm going to do my air quotes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The CCTV was cut off, which yeah. is always a red flag in custody mm. when there's no footage. Mm. So police don't go in and there's no footage. But there's definitely a riot because I saw the after effects of it like it was crazy. Mm. So anyway, what the government did was um, they took seven kids to the youth parole board who they thought would be the ringleaders. Like I would know who they were. I could be able to name who would have been in on it, right? Mm. But they didn't have evidence. So they go to the youth parole board and they wanted to what we call tip someone, yeah. right? Mm. So they wanted to tip them. Which means to move them from juvenile custody to adult custody. Yeah. Yes, mm. which you can do, mm. right? So if someone, you know, like traditionally, if someone breaches the good order, I think it's called, so if they belt a staff member or something where they're just not going to be able to maintain the good order, the youth parole board can say you're going to adult. Mm. So that that's always happened, right? Mm. It's always been there in the law, but the youth parole board has to say, okay, and sometimes kids went, to really serious stuff, did really serious damage in there and got tipped. That's the law. Mm. Mm. The other way it can happen for people that are curious is if you're in youth detention but you're 18 and you commit an offence whilst in custody, you can get charged by the police as an 18-year-old and yeah, then the magistrate right. can yeah. agree to then house you on remand in an adult facility because you're now 18. Mm. So it's an alternative sort yeah. of route that they sometimes take. Oh, I probably yeah. saw that but would have thought it was tip because I didn't understand oh, it. It's, but it's no, probably no. someone but driving right. it though because yeah. if it's yeah. in custody, they're yeah. going to be thinking whether they report it to the police or just deal with it in-house. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, right. So yeah. Um, so these seven kids got hauled between, before the Youth Parole Board and the Youth Parole Board said, no, none of them can go to bar one because there's no evidence here. How can you tell them? Who saw it? What? No footage? No. So they said no. And what happened was the government, and this is the big thing in it, the government, so our Premier had come out and said, 
they're going to jail because that's where they belong. The minister said they're the worst of the worst. They're going to Barwon and they'd already done the deal. And a week before I'd been in a, like a premier and cabinet meeting where they talked about that's an option, that's on the cards here, Gravillia, which is where MRC went, right? Now, here's the thing, the Youth Parole Board says you can't put anyone, so no one that's sentenced could go, not just those seven kids, but no one sentenced could go to Barwon unless it ran through the Youth Parole Board. And the Youth Parole Board had revealed their hand, it ain't happening. Mm. So what the government quietly did with the heads of, I suppose it was DHHS then, mm. right, was they opened a remand centre. So they kept the narrative going, this is for the kids that rioted, and they brought in kids, and they could only bring in kids that were 100% not involved in riots. Mm. And they had to bring them in because if they brought someone in who'd been involved in a riot, they'd be seen to be circumventing the law with the Youth Parole Board. So they had to be very careful. So in-house, it was only remandees. So it was innocent kids, weakest. Like, these are what other kids would have called gimps. Yeah. Lower right? on the so they're the ones that they moved to Gravillia. But they're not even moved. They took them straight off the street. Mm. So they were kids hardly moved. There were a few, like you, there were a few kids that were sitting up in Ramat. Yeah. Which didn't ride at all that went across. Mm. Yeah. But it was mostly new kids coming in. So they were awaiting trial. It was a remand centre. It's in the Supreme Court judgment. Mm. But the narrative was these kids had done. So the kids that had done the damage are sitting at Parkville and Malmesbury. Mm. Right. Right. So these kids were innocent awaiting their trial. And so this is the crazy situation in Barwon. And while they were there, because the leadership was so poor, they didn't understand what the Children, Youth and Family Act was. So they were operating under the Corrections Act. The staff didn't have working with children's checks. They didn't have a youth work approach. And they didn't really give a fuck. No. Capsicum sprayed kids, set dogs on them. Yeah. This is found in the judgment. You know, one of the kids is a porcelain, you know, toilet that a kid smashed up and because he smashed it up self-harming having a mental breakdown they put dogs on him to deal with it so and then you had things like family couldn't visit if they had criminal sort of history so you had all these terrible things and a school couldn't be registered so kids couldn't get an education because Barwon was never going to meet the child safety standards so it was just a debacle Mm. but the ministers had come out and said um that Minister and Premier and government and people were saying it's rioters and we're being tough and it it actually wasn't and you know the other thing that was you know horrible about that situation of kids that are waiting so they're not sentenced Mm. not found guilty some walked out of there they were you know like leave innocent and they've been in Barwon they were separate from the adults but it was cruel sort of environment for them but what had to be proved in the supreme court was that children were in there for you had to, the government had to prove it was in their best interest to be in there mm. so it was good for their development mm. that's the thing that they got caught on in their decision making can you show us where you considered their best interest and they couldn't yeah they were like what are you talking about oh but there's no beds and the judge just said um there's nothing in here that says under an emergency you can put them wherever you want. Mm. You've got to tell me it's best interest. Now, what I knew as well was that Colburn was under construction then. Yeah. You know, you could have moved kids from, you know, like Josh, you know Malmesbury well from whatever, I think it was called the 
admissions unit, maybe mm. up there, yeah. which was sort of secure. You Close, could have moved yeah. them into Collarburn. And, and you've got am admissions. I right in guessing the narrative at the time was that that unit at Barwon was the only possible... Only option. There was no yeah. others, right? Yeah, yeah. And right. ultimately when they got sent back, when the Supreme Court said, you are going back, there was no available bed in the state on that day. And when they got sent back at five, there were beds. Mm. And, you know, like riots yeah. and kids smash shit up. Yeah. Right? In resi and stuff. You can... To get kids into Barwon, millions of dollars went into it to mm. refurbish it. That could have been done at Parkville for 15 kids. Yeah. It was just that they had to keep this narrative that there's there's nothing else we can do. The only option is Barwon. We could never consider sending kids to secure welfare, <laughs> you know, and put half of the, the three boys across to the girls in separate wings. Mm. We could never do that. So, so it was a lie going on and, you know, I blew the whistle ultimately that, I um, provided an email in the Supreme Court that, you know, on a day when the the government said there's no beds, that was from someone senior saying if the kids are sent back today, these are the beds they'll go to, you know. And Parkville just made a decision we won't have kids two in a in a room, but forever kids were two in a room. Yeah. Mm. So there's ways that, you know, and they people stood up in court and said, oh no, it would be worse to put them in a you know, one of those solitary confinement sort of units, you know, in between Ramah North and South where kids would sometimes go into. Yeah, mm. like the isolation. Isolation. Oh, we mm. could never do that, have them just sleep there. And I'm like, well, I've seen that plenty of times, yeah. you know, like in overflow. and Yeah. But so what was told in the Supreme Court was there no other option mm. and they had to prove that it was in the best interest of kids and they couldn't. Mm. And so that's what I was a part of, of mm. sort of revealing. Yeah. And I think that there was a lot of things around you know, the young people being locked 23 hours a day in their, yeah, yeah, it was their a, units. And it, was, it was punishment. You, really you know, horrendous. And I think even for me as a worker, you know, I started at Corrections. That's where I started uh, my career. Yeah. And I spent quite a bit of time in, in our prisons that we do have in Victoria doing work with um, what they would call offenders. Um, to even comprehend, for me, my young people that are potentially have done time in Parkville or Malmesbury yeah. or who are currently there to send them to an adult. Like that's just not something that I can commute, compute in my head as appropriate in the slightest. No. And I remember at the time it was an uproar, like in our, in our sort of a... sector we were, people were like, how the fuck are they in Barwon? What do you mean? Mm. It's, a, it's a big shift from, so DHHS staff, were seen as youth workers. Mm. So they're under-resourced and under the pump and your massive hours and poor support, right? Mm. But there were no weapons and there was a there was a sense of... I, I remember a kid coming back and talking about what he missed was he missed the sort of staff were good to him, mm. right? But at, at Barwon, it was just game on, like, punishment. Yeah. From people that were like, we're going to get on top of you. And you might be able to run a mark at Parkville, but it ain't happening with us. It was that sort of thing. And I'd be saying to them, oh, these kids weren't in a riot. There's like a 16-year-old with a disability and he needs his medication. Mm. What can we do here? Mm. That'd be, you know, like I, I remember, I, and I listened to your podcast and I've heard you say the word client, right? Mm. I remember this distinctly, walking in and someone used the word clients. And I this whole room of correction stuff, client, client, is that fucking right? You know, mm. it's a fucking prisoner, you know, mm. and they're going to fucking learn here. And I was like, whoa, mm. 
Mm. What are you up to? And I remember saying, like, you know, you've got to do these things under the act. What's that? I don't give a fuck. They're mm. in Barwon now. And I was like, all righty mm. This is going to be interesting. And so kids were locked down for, yeah, I think what came out in the Supreme Court was that kids were locked down for 23 hours. So imagine innocent kids that are just kids that you'd be working with on the streets, really vulnerable kids um, who were 23 hours a day. They didn't know where they were, mm. what was going on. It was really hot. Uh, it was like December, January time at Barwon. It was really full on and held off food, held off meds, just played with mm. by who knows, you know, what, you know, why those people were the way that they were. Mm prison guards but when I used to work in adult prison I'd walk in sometimes to meet with someone and I'd have a prison guard say to me oh you fucking do good or they're no fucking good you fucking waste of time mm. okay mate thanks have a mm. good day see ya yeah Cheers, you. yeah yeah it's, it's a particular personality can be look I'm sure there's great people right but fuck yeah yeah because some of the kids I think were also held in police custody police they were at first well. yeah yeah and because I, I moved from Parkville to working in police custody, which was... Yeah, like Mill Park or somewhere, yeah. really briefly. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and I did. I worked in police custody for a little while because I was pursuing yeah. a career with the police force. Um, and it's just atrocious the way that people view, like, the young people. Like, there's a yeah. couple of kids. When I, I, I had, like, a shadow shift and, uh, and I wasn't really sure sort of, you know, like like sort of how to approach it but i saw on the board that there was a young person in custody he was 18 now but i knew him yeah of course and i, I wanted to tell the sergeant yeah. us to be clear you know so it's not weird that yeah. i know him and he yeah, knows yeah. me and how, how do you know this person because they drum into you when you're employed by the police like if you've got any associates you need yeah, to d- disclose fair. who they are and right. yeah. which is completely reasonable anyway so i said oh just letting you know that that fella i know i know him from when i used to work at parkville and he's like oh yeah no worries um and he made some comment and I was like, oh, he's a, he's a pretty good kid though, you know what I mean? Like I know he's – and he's like, oh, yeah, fucking is that right? You know, just a miserable yeah. sort of – but the, the, that rhetoric was so common. I, I haven't dealt with prison staff a lot but police I have and there's definitely good police out there and we work with some great police sort of now but for a lot of the time, it's – yeah. And, and I feel like that it's – from even when I spent time in the academy for the job that I had doing the police custody role, it's almost like they kind of train you into believing yeah. like that. And I and I think it's probably the same with the with the prison staff as well. Like probably most people don't go into the job, you know, kind of thinking, oh, like you know, fucking hate crooks and I just want to lock them up and keep them locked up. But they kind of think, oh, I need a job or I want to do this job, and then they kind of get sort of trained in this yeah. negative sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's quite interesting, but it, yeah, it's it's so difficult. I think well, I, going back to I think some of the sort of from my point of view, it's it's been a really interesting journey for me because I started in ResiCare, learned about Parkville from a guy I was working with who had just started at Parkville and was sort of doing both jobs until he sort yeah. of secured his full time employment with Parkville. He told me about it. I applied, got a job, started working, wanting to sort of do the youth work thing yeah. and, you know, going to Parkville and save all the kids. <laughs> and as Parkville changed, because there was the escape in 2010, Sorry. which sort of was the, um, I don't know, the, the straw that broke the camel's was, back yeah. and there was a lot of changes that happened after that. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of went along with it and ended up doing some different roles within Parkville. But I'd like to think didn't kind of lose the the 
the idea of wanting to be a supportive person and be helpful while yeah. I worked there. But it wasn't until, so obviously like going to do all the police stuff like never happened and I thought, all right, what am I going to do? You know, that's not going to work. Do I do I go back to looking at working in the prison system? Because that's kind of where Parkville kind of ended for me working on the response teams, very much like sort of prison orientated yeah. and sort of like, um, you know, the security sort of mindset. Or do I go back to where it started, which was the youth work? And obviously I've gone back towards the youth work stuff. And it wasn't until I started working in my previous job from this, which was case management for kids in out of home care, that I realized I did not know so much when I worked at Parkville. Like we would have kids come in and be like, oh, your child protection work is here. I didn't realize that they were in out of home care and that they'd been removed from care or in some sort of, you know, situation where they had a child protection worker. There was, there's one particular young person that I, and I know a lot of people really, really, really struggled to like. Yeah. Very difficult person. Yeah. I got out and then ended up working closely, not with that young person, but a family member of his and learned his story and learned the whole story yeah. of the whole family. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. To think back, not, I don't think I really treated that young person unfairly or anything, but I certainly in my mind, I didn't have a lot of time for him. Mm. Um, but to think back now, I'm like, fuck, the amount of trauma that young person's gone through that his family have gone through, that his other family, like his siblings have gone through, um, even grandparents, to learn all of that. And I was like, I didn't know any of this when I worked at Parkville. If I knew this when I worked at Parkville, I certainly would have been a bit more accepting of some of the behaviours. I would have been more understanding. I would have been able to kind of share some or, or try and have um, conversations, you know, with other staff members about maybe that person's, trauma history mm. as to the reason why he's behaving the way he's behaving um there's a lot that you don't get and i don't know if it's any better i don't know if it's any worse but i could definitely reflect there was so many different aspects of things that you just don't get taught there um which is a real shame i think it's a real shame because it, it potentially leads to that uh, i don't know what you call it, like the pinnacle where you end up with that uh, you versus us mentality yeah um and people work there for a very long time and some people i think can do it well you probably know a few people that do it well yeah but then there's a lot yeah, of, of people and what resonated to me was something that you said in one of your questions and i'd actually i wanted to address it then but i'll do it now which was around your well-being yeah. and you said that you would never essentially you never work for anyone that you don't like yeah which already puts you ahead of the game right because but so many people at parkville we're like, oh, fuck this place, fuck the kids. And I'll, I'll joke to them because I was still happy. And I go, hey, you know you can get you can get another job, right? Yeah. Like, you know you can quit and, and get another job. And even when I left and when I was leaving and I told people I was leaving, people would say, oh, like, you're lucky or, you know, like, oh, good on you. And I'm like, you know, you it's can... like they don't realise they're the ones that are working there right. and have the freedom to leave. They're not locked in. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, you can do this too. Like, I'd make jokes with people. I'm like, there's other jobs out there. You don't have to get stuck here. Yeah. You know, so... It's also not effective for the kids. If you don't want to be there, you can't feel, you can't pour from an empty cup. But... Don't be there. Yeah, 100%. And I think, I think part of the reason for that is, and because you alluded to it before, Brendan... <laughs> To get a job there, I don't know if it's changed yet, but I know when I was there shaking your head, nah, you don't have to have a qualification. No, no qualification yeah. required. That's yeah. still a big problem, yeah. right? Because you're zero. And and it's not like you've got a youth work degree that you can be a unit manager sure. or anything. And, and in fact, 
you know, like I know what the qualifications are of the people at the top, you mm. know, and that is the problem is that you get a workforce in and who that's the bosses are coming to demonstrate, not, not just talk to you about trauma, mm. and, but who's leading a workforce to um, understand the behaviours and here's the best interventions mm. and I'm going to show you. Yeah. Mm. Right? That doesn't happen. Mm. Right? So that's the cruel thing for people stuck in there. I do think it's a double-edged sword though because there's some people that started working at Parkville that had no history working with kids. They might have worked in like factories their yeah. whole life, but they've got their dads, they've got kids, they've got yeah. grandchildren and they're awesome. Yeah. But that's not, you know, like you can't just sort of have this sort of open door no. policy and hope you kind of get good people. I used to talk about it like uh, catching fish with a really, really big net. Yeah. You'll get heaps of fish, but some of them will jump yeah. out. Some of them aren't good for eating. You kind of see what's left at the bottom. And that was what our inductions were like. Like, I think, you know, I worked there for six years. After six years, there was like three people left from our induction or four people, whichever six years is reasonable. But people talk about it now or even in the past couple of years that there would be like half the people left by the time I actually start working full time. Yeah. Because it's so broad to, to, you know, get people in the door. Yeah. Look, but I mean, I thought about that. Think about the teachers, right? Mm. They didn't turn over as much. No. And granted, they're not turning the keys. So they've got a different job. But we created a different job. And I would employ people that didn't have qualifications that I really liked. Mm. And But then we get them the quals along the way. Yeah. So yeah. some of the best staff, like that we know, yeah, right, course, came yeah. off the floor. Yeah. And I went, you would be awesome. I'll support you to do this. We'll pay it. We'll, you, you could still cast the net. Mm. And you could have... Um, you know, like, a, just, you could have someone like, when I first got in there, I'll just say, I'll use a pseudonym, Vince, right, yeah. as a name. So, so when I got in there, the, there was a staff member called Vince, who I really liked, who I thought, if you got your teaching quals while we're here, you could be a principal at this school. Mm. That would be incredible. And how about we set about that? I know you don't have the teaching quals now. But maybe in six or seven years you could be, right? and that person has become a prince, and you learn on the floor, yeah, right. So you just got to like I feel like I knew my staff. Like people at the top, they didn't know their staff, no. they didn't know the kids, they didn't. They just keeping to themselves and making decisions. And there's mm. your thing. They're not the expert practitioners. Like I would okay. think my people at the top in the school could go in, like Matt, who's a principal. Mm. And you can work with anyone. And mm. if you can't, you don't deserve that job. Mm. Mm. And if you can't guide them through it. Mm. And the same thing, if you hit leadership, your job is not to, I'm busy with a budget or something, I've got to go to a meeting, mm. but you help the person whose first day it is get to your position, yeah. Yeah. right? And you help kids. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on, you don't want to just make it like you're got to have some qual to get in the door because there's some amazing people yeah that you give them a shot in there and it's sort of like helping turn lives around like it's a beautiful parallel process mm. but you've got to have a plan that if your workforce isn't humming yeah then what are you going to do and mm. let's talk about the college for a little bit because it's yeah. a unique model and I, I i guess my experience so i was there when it started yeah. um and actually i was going to say this before fun fact ruby rose's mum used to teach art at the previous school that was in Parkville. Ruby Rose's, like Ruby Rose, the yeah, actress. Yeah, the famous person. Yeah, right, her okay, mum, yeah, yeah. Her yeah. mum taught art. Yeah, 
Mm. Really lovely lady. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was there when the school started and that 100% there was uh, a level of skepticism yeah. amongst the staff, including myself, of, oh, here we go. Not your do-gooders, because I think we all, to an element your, of your us, unit, were like do-gooders. Your unit had a strike one day about coming up to the I NPU. never took those strikes, by the way. But yeah. No, no, oh, but what? there were, yeah. you know, like to not go up. Oh, it was to the unit. Oh, yeah. yeah, for kids to come up to school. So we Did were we? like, oh, fuck it, we'll go in. We'll come yeah. and get them. Yeah. Oh, well, we went down, yeah. But that's like, we'll be a pain in the ass and hang around on the floor. Yeah. So, yeah, but. But, you know, there was enough. a level of skepticism because I think that we knew, I guess humbly, we knew how difficult it was to work with the cohort of young people that you get at Parkville and have tried to do and implement different things and support different things in the past. And it was kind of like, oh, here's a here's like a real school and they're going to come in and do. But I can say, like, hand on my heart, like, blown away by the work that Parkville did. And I, I think the only, not the only, I think the best word to describe setting it up and implementing was relentless. Yeah. The staff led by you and Matt, relentless. Yeah, we were relentless. Yeah. Because, like, I know that you would you would be walking around the, the campus, you'd be in the classrooms, you'd be spending time, like the principal, assistant principal and teaching staff are like walking around, shaking hands with kids, kicking the footy in the oval, like banter mm. from day one and being as creative as you could. And I think the biggest thing, um, maybe that's not quite the right reading, but I think one of the things that got implemented the quickest maybe was the uh, was the concept of reading books in yeah. the, the school um, and the ability for kids to take the books back to the classroom? Yeah. Uh, sorry, back to yeah. their unit with them yeah. was um, was probably one of the first big sort of was a big notable achievements. Mate, would you say? It was one of the things that we just one like so. I got this team together about five people, and I didn't know Matt, but I said we've got to be relentless. Mm. Like you, you've got to you're all day every day up for this mm. because. The prison will break you, but you just got to think we're just going to do this and we're just going to win, mm -hmm. right? So it's a yes or no, and I don't care who you are. Let's just have a crack at it. And so, yeah, we we said, what are we going to do first as strategy? I said, fuck it, let's go to books because everyone says these kids won't read. So let's just go to books. Like we'll get graffiti art in next. We'll get our hip hop artists. Mm. We'll get AFL footballers in. Because that would have we'll, been the easy route. We'll do all route. the razzle dazzle. Yeah, but fuck it. Let's go to books. Yeah, yeah. the easy route would have mm. been all I right. Let's get the graffiti yeah, guy no. to come in. Let's no. get the hip hop guy to come in. And no. we'll be a school. But you yeah. didn't. You've no, gone no, we with went. like our primary is literacy. Yeah. And not long after that was numeracy. But yeah, yeah. I, I reckon the best um, part of the start, like Matt and I often talk about this, was that. I asked for a year to set up the school and the minister at the time um, was a coalition minister, Woolridge, Mary Woolridge, and she said, I need the kids in Ramadan to get an education. I can't wait a year. I cannot have kids in the care of the state. They don't get a book, mm. right? So she said this, there were 51 kids in Ramadan. Does that sound right? It should oh, be 26, shouldn't it? It should have been... I know it's changed now. Yeah. Oh, up in Ramadan North, yeah, 13 beds and end. So, so 26 up yeah, in so, North and South. So yeah. maybe it was 26 to start off with, right? And I was like, you know what? Matt was my second in charge. I said, you know what? No matter what we do, people are going to go, oh, is the, but they're not the big hitters. They're not Eastern Hill and Westgate. Like everyone's going to talk it up <laughs> big time, right? And I'd worked in like Charlotte, in mm. the big boys and places. So I was like, this is 
is it easy, right? Mm. Just trust me here. And so I said, listen, to make it sort of like, because even politicians had said, if you could do half of what you're talking up, we'll take it. All right, we're ready to give you a crack. Because um, I said, no more funding. I just want normal funding. We'll just smash it. Yeah. And so I said to people that were running uh, Parkville at the time, what's your most difficult unit? Because we want to do that as well. Just to see, well, we might as well, we're here. Mm. Let's have a crack at it. Just give us your most difficult. And they were like, oh, I suppose Eastern Hill, Westgate, the crimes. But then you can get along with them. They go South Bank. South Bank, South Bank's yeah. our, like, we got kids with brain injuries. We got kids with really complex behaviour at the mm. time, you know. Like, we got kids that, you know, they just take their pants off. You know, like, we got a whole range of kids, like, really some out their behaviours. Mm. Mm. Um, so, how's about you do South Bank? So, I was like, yeah, great. So, I said to Matt, we'll start there, me and you, right? And we teach them first. And I remember doing a South Bank, this big talk from someone that was there. And this is bullshit. It's not going to work. It was like... Whoever was running the unit or someone in a senior position just told me and Matt, you got no fucking idea about these kids, blah, 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 blah. It's not going to work. And I said to Matt, we're going to meet them in the kitchen. Right? They just finished their food, right? So they're waiting at their tables. And it, say it was breakfast or lunch. Never met the kids. So I went in and said, can I talk to them all? And, you know, I'm like, here's my second in charge who I'm planning is going to take over the school one day better fucking work right? <laughs> so I said oh, everyone my name's Brendan you know we're going to run a school and give him this sort of three-quarter time speech yeah about how I wanted to read and whatever and I could see the person who had just told me how fucking stupid we are and it ended every kid clapped right they all clapped it's like a and in one of the kids I said so anything you want as a book I'm going to get for you is there anything on your mind this one kid goes Matt always laughs about it because this kid goes Modern shamanism. And I was like, what, what the fuck, right? <laughs> and I was like, mate, I'll have a crack at it. Right? All but, right. But we just went straight to, with that crew, we said straight up, if you can, you know, read to this many pages as a, we'll have a barbie. You know, nice. just simple things, mm. right? Get some pizzas to celebrate. Like, fuck it. And you know, that drove people crazy, but. Because like, don't say pizzas in Parkville. I know, right? But we're like, we're allowed to do this as a school. I'm yeah. allowed to have fucking. We can do these things like we have fates, we have whatever. I can do what I want. I've got a budget. I'm mm. not going to ask anyone. So, and we certainly weren't, in my opinion, there'd be different opinions, but we didn't buy them. Mm. There'd be times where people cross that line when, you know, bribery is your 101 of youth work. But, uh, you know, like I always felt like the kids, they're, they didn't have to come. Like no. They just go, fuck, fuck it, I'm not coming. Mm. You know, you could try and get kids up there, but if someone just said, fuck it, I'm not coming, well, you're going to have to drag me. And they came, you know? Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, so we went straight to the heart of let's read and let's get a proper education. And I'd love to say here that, you know, like the American movies where you could imagine something like this and everyone's lives turned around, but <laughs> probably 90% of the kids go to adult prison. You yeah. know, a lot do. That's the reality of it. Mm. But... Um, because you have short period of intervention with years and years of trauma and abuse and neglect and the manifestation of behaviours that are dysfunctional antisocial. Mm. So in a brief period of time when everyone's drug free and food and 
everything and sleep patterns are in place, kids get it together, but mm. the brain may not heal so fully and they come back out and I'll just party for a day or two and next thing kids are back in there. So I think about, you know, like I know that if I walk through adult prison now, I would know a lot of people. Mm. Yes. So it's not a story. Well, I tell the stories about these triumphs that we had. Mm. It doesn't fix society. No. You know, it's not as, it's not the, the finale is not what I would have hoped. Mm. That's the honesty of it. Like, and you've got to think to yourself, I think, which I would always talk with staff about, that people will judge us on recidivism, like yep. who goes back to jail. The reality is that once a kid comes into custody, they're on that path. Mm-hmm. So any that we get off that path is great, yeah. right? But at the, at the very minimum, a child is learning when they're a parent how I want to be. They're valuing education. Mm-hmm. It may open up something for them in that they learn to read mm-hmm. when they're in adult and they might get their degree. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and you've got to think about the, a kid may have gone in for an incredible assault to person Maybe the next time they go into for property, yeah, you know you you gotta hold on to that, mm. and and uh, I would say to staff, people will get you on you're a do-gooder and do-gooder. The best way to confront it is if you think to yourself, it's okay not to like. Oh, look, I don't like everyone, but I would always think I, I don't want this person to go out and perpetrate more crime. Mm. So that's why I roll my sleeves up and I often have my shirt up to remember, has he got work to do? So don't just let him sit in a cell because they're yeah. not going to get better that way and punish him like that. You actually got to do the work with them. And if you do that, the hope is that there's not future victims. And no one's opposed to that mm. in working with kids. But if you say, oh, he's actually a good kid or whatever, yeah, police mm. or people will be like, he's a fucking whatever. Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. But you've got to have the mindset of this is a civic duty. This yeah. is something for the good of society. Mm. So this kid needs it. But we all need it because the kid's coming out. Yeah. So we all better have a crack at it. And that, that that's the thing that would get me that we would sometimes in the whole system think, fuck them, they're not coming to school or I'm not taking them up to the gym or I'm not. And I think that there's more chance there. Yeah. That they're going to do more damage. It's opportunity. Yeah, we've got to get them in. We've got to get them in mm. for stuff. Mm. And I think it's important, I think, um, from my perspective as, as a community worker, the biggest complaint I get from my young people in custody is when the college isn't running. Oh, really? That's nice yeah, to hear. It is. It's always, oh, no, college isn't running at school holidays or, you know, during COVID there was periods of time that the mm. college couldn't run because we were in the middle of a pandemic. But that is the biggest complaint I ever get from young people is not being able to engage mm. in the college whilst they're in custody. Yeah. I think about if we really wanted to make a change... It's not called a prison, it's a school. Yeah. And you, you get more like Thomas Embling where you run security on the perimeter yeah. or it's not the key feature. It's not like you live in custody and you go to school, mm. which is how it is now, but you've got to flip that. Mm. And you've got to flip your... I, I, I approached, when I was working there, I approached the most senior people for me to come across to DHS to work under their structure. Yeah. And that... but. I'm under one proviso, we get something like an Oakview, give me one unit and we get quality staff in and I get all my staff that were on the floor. Yeah. So people that now work for the school and we're all in and we create this utopia just with one unit, we can do this. And then the key is 
they become, you know, a handful go on to the next unit. Yeah. And you bring people in. We've yeah. got to go one by one over a year, right, to do this. But you've got to change it so it's all one. You know, like we're all in on this. Yeah. And that it's driven into you that this is for the good of society. This is why we've got to do it. They're in here with a lot of money. Mm. We've got to do something around rehab and development. Mm. And we've all got to be in on it. So it can happen. It happens. Spain do it well. Mm. They're, they're ahead of the game. They've got something called Diagrama. And they have decentralised prisons, so not just in one spot, but near homes so that families can visit, right? Mm. And so judges yeah. come in and they have, it, it's, they're called educators, the staff, whether they're teachers or not. Yeah. And they have security at the doors, but it's minimal. Mm. It's not the main game. Mm. Because I would hear from staff, Josh, right, that forever they're on the floor and they're like, uh, I came for a job as a youth worker <laughs> and they showed me some wrestling moves in the <laughs> training. Yeah. But I realised, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing here. Mm. This wasn't, and you can all change, right? And, yeah, you know, like you're, so many people came in and said, I thought I was going to be a youth worker. Mm. And they're like, what? What am I doing? And That's what right. supervision did they get? And what <laughs> support? And yeah. who comes out of there and goes, oh, I've got really good case management principles and <laughs> philosophy now. I'm like, fucking no. Yeah. <laughs> right? So it's crazy. And the, the, the end of the story with Barwin is that when the kids won, mm. the government went with, well, have we got a move for you? How's about we bring corrections to you? Yeah. Mm. Fuck DHS off. Yeah. So, and how's about we build Cherry Creek? So that that becomes our Barwin. So, mm. you know, like you're you're playing in this sort of crazy system, trying to make things better. But the answers are Scandinavians have got them, Spanish have got them, and the government knows. But the votes aren't in. Like you've got to have a strong narrative about a peaceful society that you're gunning for. Yeah. And you've got to have conviction and leadership, or there's a worry that we'll be seen as soft on crime and getting pizzas for African kids who are carjackers, you know? Mm. Yeah. That's and the big that, worry. It's funny, isn't it? Because it, there, there's, I can't think of the word, but there's something horrendous in that that we want to want them out of sight, out of mind. We, we want to be punitive in our approach with them, like you were talking yeah. about before, punishing instead of rehabilitating. They are our future, though. Mm. So what are we actually teaching? That's right. I know, you know, like, but, but that's often the way with prisons, right? So it's okay, everyone breathes a sigh of relief, someone's in prison, but they're coming back, yeah. right? And then they're going to have kids. And you know, so what are we going to do? And it, so you get a kid into Barnett, we should just be like, so Barnett's 10 to 14, yeah. I think still, I suppose I haven't been in, I'm believe. banned, I'm <laughs> yeah. banned from prisons, by uh, the way. All of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, you'd, you'd think just throw everything there. Like, go, let's go hard at everything. Mm. Like, let's let's go Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory on approach and rehab and let's just smash this because you think about the kids that come into Barwon, they're actually the most likely to be the long-term offenders because mm. they come in young. Yeah. So they're pathway through. So mm. they do the trip. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. So we know it. So what do you do? You know, like, um, and, yeah, politicians know it. I wanted to make a comment. You um, mentioned before around education now. So, um, sorry, 
I've gone about that in a completely wrong way. We obviously spoke about Barwon moving on. You were talking about what you were doing down in Geelong today mm. and where you are with education now. Yeah. What what are you doing at the moment, given there's been a couple of comments around, you know, particularly DHS has now fallen under DOJ, all the Barwon yeah. stuff, Supreme Court, the dealings with the ombudsman. Mm. That was that was risky career stuff for you mm. and more than risky. Yep. But where are you now? Where has that led well, you to be? I was fortunate that a few CEOs from welfare organisations, like big ones, reached out and said, love you to work with us as a consultant. But look, when we go for the deals with government, we just keep you in the back room. And I'm yep. like, fine, I understand that. That's the way it is, right? But I had, so I work for um, McKillop Family Services mm -hmm. and I work in, an, in their institute and they have a model called Relate, which is working with schools on more inclusive practices, trauma-informed approaches for kids. So to learn that behaviour is a communication of sorts. And so keep kids in school and keep staff well. So do staff wellbeing. So that's why I do self-care plans with teachers who are like, what? <laughs> you know, and mm. safety plans and all that sort of stuff. So that's really, I really like that work with MacKillop. Uh, I work for VACA, so the Victorian Aboriginal Childcare Agency, and I do, you know, uh, supervision and work within VACA and have run their training teams internally mm. to build capacity of staff. And I've been working with Jesuit Social Services and um, we are setting up a school for next year. So it starts in Feb. It's just a little couple of things to do before school registration, but what the Jesuits wanted to do, they went on this world tour. Julie Edwards is the CEO. She mm -hmm. went on this tour with some of her board members and they saw some incredible practice that sort of stopped kids going to prison, secure schools or different ways of doing things. And we talked and I'd been thinking about, because it had such a horrible experience of political intervention, mm and it being damaging for kids and that, um, I was starting to think about how do you beat the politicians? And we decided to set up a school and the idea is that it's not under the state system, yep. right? So you go Catholic or independent, they're Catholic, so it's in the Catholic system. Money flows federally and the, you work with the Children's Court and the Youth Parole Board on kids getting, instead of going to prison, they might get ordered there and they've got a safe sort of safe hands as a diversionary program it's all day every day it's not just like a flexible learning option of two yeah. hours yeah and turn up when you want but you've got to be there and so and it's vcal and so it's parkville college style of teachers with jesuit social justice philosophy which is pretty strong i have no idea what that is it's just a <laughs> pumping like it's a um, Danny Nong, Mr. Whippy. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of ice cream music, they got like hip hop on. Yeah. yeah. So the Jesuits are all about, you know, doing something for those that are really disadvantaged and particularly in custody. They've got a whole experience of that. So they wanted to try and create a school for kids as a proper last resort to prison, to yeah. give another option. And so the, the plan is um, a, a principal's been appointed who happened to work at Parkville College. Um, and there's really good staff within the Jesuits and um, school will run starting first week of um, Feb. And the deal is that the Children's Court have got an order, you know, on a community supervision order, and you would normally be sitting in remand. Yeah. 
but you come to this school mm. and, and we do try to do everything that you would want in youth justice except the brutality and the oppressive sort of nature, take that out. Mm. And it's the youth work and education. So that's pretty exciting. That's really exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping, I've been advertising it as a historic sort of step because I think about other jurisdictions, like you don't actually have to have a prison. Mm. You don't have to send kids to prison. Mm. There's nothing that says you have to. I, I know that if there's real danger and someone's just really, really dangerous that you've got to have something in your society. But there's also, there's a lot of kids that, geez, they're, they're worse off for being in there. Mm. Yeah. It doesn't help. It makes yeah. it worse. Mm. Yeah. So, but, if you, but what have we got out here? Like, how many schools are putting their hand up to say, oh, you're going to send him into prison? I'd love to come pick him up. <laughs> None. Yeah, so that's what we're going for. Mm. And, you know, it would be incredibly successful and I will hope that it sets a an example to everywhere that actually you can set up schools, like a school could be set up around Mildura Robinvale instead of kids having to come down on a truck mm. Mm. that has functions in such a way and you have the same sort of profile of youth workers and teachers and you've got to be there every day. Better than in prison. Mm. Mm. I, I know there's always the worry then what about if they run amok at night or something but so if a kid does that then you breach them and they're in. Mm. You know, so the model you're talking about will have like a residential component. No, it doesn't. No. It doesn't. Um, Je Jesuits don't really do um, resi work, right? Yeah. And I was thinking that I don't know. I, maybe it's because I did resi early on. I had this fear of oh, I want to do that again, mm. right? But I, I just thought you've got to have the systems got to work as well. You can't just do everything. Mm. You, the kid is. So the courts might say, look, we're happy to give him into here as long as uh, Anglicare gives him a bed or someone does. And, yeah. you know, we do a deal with them. They give him a bed and we'll take care of nine to five or whatever, you know. Yeah. Mm. You, you need, you sort of want every, you don't want to be just everything, I yeah. think, anyway. Yeah. That could be my scars from Resi. Mm. But, mm. but I just thought, you know, even I was hoping one day, what's going to stop you? Like, you know, we had kids, which you'll know, that... They were leaving prison every day to go somewhere mm. and do school. Mm. So what's to stop someone ordering that, look, we don't have a bed for you. So from six o'clock every night you come in, you come back, you go through the checks and you come back in and you have dinner and everything, go to bed. And then at eight in the morning when you yeah. had your shower and your brekkie, you go to school. Yeah. yeah. That was normal, right, at times mm. for kids, mm -hmm. especially when we're pathwaying them out. Yeah. So I sort of thought to myself, now if a kid doesn't have resi, there's nothing to stop the court saying, look, we can give you a safe bed, mm. but you still get to come. Yeah. So it's my hope is that my, like Jesuits want to run a great school for yeah. kids and give them an opportunity to turn their lives around. That's what they're all about. Mm. Me, like deep down, I want to drain the prisons mm. because it doesn't do anyone any good. Not the way it is now. Mm. We, we guarantee more crime the way it is and more yeah. harm. We just, I don't want to be a part of that. So, mm. So I'm happy to be thinking about, well, what can we do differently to make things better? And I reckon this is a good shot. It's really exciting because there is alternative learning schools out there. Um, but like you said, sometimes it's flexible learning. It's maybe two hours a day, rock up whenever you want, maybe once a week, which works for some yeah. young people. But it, it's it's like there's alternative learning and then there's there's, there's school. 
like your general education school mm. model and you've got to fit there. And if you don't fit there, well, we don't have a spot for you. And I think there's definitely schools that, you know, they don't want to ruin their fancy bell curve or they don't want to deal with the challenging behaviours. So those kids are sent for alternative learning and maybe alternative learning isn't for them either. Mm. So I think... Um, we lose a lot of kids there. They slip through the cracks. They disengage from education. And I think, you know, I think of some of the uh, naive comments, I guess, that you get from people around, oh, why aren't your kids in school? What are their parents doing about that? Why aren't they engaged in education? You know, and sometimes the roadblock there actually isn't the young person. Sometimes it's our education system or the school not wanting them there. Because they are the bad kid that make the school look bad or they, they do ruin averages or they can't sit still in a classroom. I think the biggest one for me when I was in school was a particular teacher and I didn't get along very well in the slightest. And, and that was because I would say to her, I can't learn just reading a PowerPoint. You're just reading off a PowerPoint to me. I can't learn that way. This is why I write my notes this way and this is why I do it like this to take down the information you're doing. And I remember her saying to me, well, this is how I teach and if you don't like it, you can get out of my mm. class. And I think, fuck, imagine if there was a teacher, like, and, you know, I had great support so I, I was a resilient person and, you know, but, but what if I didn't have that? And what if that was the only messaging I was getting from my education system that, well, if you can't do this one thing this way, then you can just fuck off? Well, the classic is be here at nine, mm. right? So not everyone can be. So, you know, just sometimes on the simplest things we don't think about, well, let's start a different group at 12. Yeah. Mm. Right? So it, structurally there's problems. So I reckon it's inherent in the education system that people are like, this is what we do. This is the curriculum and... This is the way we do it. Like, no, we're not going to do hip-hop music mm. now because we've got to do maths, right? Mm. So, but there, there's a huge confusion in education. No, it, no one's really clear on the purpose of it. So you, anything goes, right? But we have all this structural stuff like you do have to be there at nine and you do have to sit. Mm. There's strange things that you go, and we work off bells and, you know, there is a power structure and all that and... You know, and teachers don't, everyone knows that relationships are important, but there's nothing that says that you've got to make a good relationship with a kid to help them learn. But you do, mm. right? There's evidence of it, but there's nothing that says you must. Mm. You've got to know your content. So it's a messy system that I think it is largely constructed so that it is exactly like your teacher said. Mm. If you don't do this, we, we can, we've got a few places where we'll play at the margins, mm. but pretty tough to have a, a school system that operates for the majority of kids and for the few, it, does, it really doesn't. Mm. It's disappointing. Yeah. When, what does it look like for you to sit down and have a beer and know that you've, that you've done everything? What does that look like to you? Like for today? No. Nah, or or just your, everything for I've your, done. For your, vision, for your vision, vision that you've set out. Because I feel like you, I feel like, I, f I felt like when I worked with you at Parkville that you could probably not stop kind of chasing the educational dreams that you've set out for mm. young people. But talking to you now, you know, the, you're, I can just see the, the cogs turning and, you know, I reckon you could probably think of a, a different yeah. educational model to suit different yeah. environment. What does it look like for you where you could sit down at the end of the day and have that beer you talk about but know that your job's done? 
It's a great question. Mm. I don't think I'll be, um, yeah, uh, it's hard to know when I'll be sort of satisfied. Mm. Like I know I've done good things and I'm, I'm happy with that, but it's not enough for me to sit and go, that'll do. Mm. Yeah. So I would like to have university campuses like, Parkville into adult prisons. Mm. So not that you can study distance ed or you can study online, but actually lecturers in yeah. and you get proper degree. And then I'd, because I reckon that's a, the early intervention, that's the trick, mm. is that you get into adults where kids that we worked with learned some skills along the way, had their slip ups again and are back in there, pick them back up and get them degrees. Because that's the big, that's where the evidence is. If you get a degree in prison, then your your likelihood of recidivism drops like crazy. Mm. So that's my next sort of big venture. And then I think about early childhood. So it's mm. more stay out of the schools and hit the adult and early I'd be interested in doing. Mm. But I'm also, you know, I'm not too, um, you know, like... To, to create things like the to work in a a university sort of setting, I've been doing university lecturing at Vic Uni, but to get a, a uni to go into prison, you need the politicians to say yes, and your university, and you need a few things to. You can't just make it happen. Mm. You see the opening and you do it. So I can't forecast these things will happen. I'm just mm. sort of open to them, and you know when that it comes up, I'd love to have a crack at it. Mm. I don't know, for the moment, I just keep going with, you know, the, the do things that I believe in and the do good. And, um, and I, you know, I was relentless at Parkville. So one of the things that I do now is I, you know, take my kids to school. I, I pick them up. I spend a lot more time yeah. with them because that's a, you've got to have fire in the belly to really take on something big. Yeah. And it's all consuming. So yeah. Matt, who runs Parkville now, it's you know he'd be on the phone right now he's not stopping mm. yeah and i you know i think to myself i'm balancing with my kids but you know really i'd be you know, just put the tv on or i've got to make a few calls so now i'm much more present so i'm much happier with that mm. balance and the crazy thing is when you become a consultant um you do half the work and you get paid double yeah. so <laughs> you know so life's pretty good yeah, yeah. When it comes to parent-teacher interviews, your <laughs> kids' parents, sorry, your kids' teachers yeah. must be so prepared. Nah, I, fucking, I play nicely. Could you imagine? I'd shit myself. Like, oh, like, so, you know, oh, like, you know, Sarah, I don't know your daughter's name. Sarah's like, um, dad's coming in today for, and then the principal's like, do you know who? Sarah's dad is. Do you know who Sarah's dad is? <laughs> no, no, I'm, re I'm really careful, right? So. Are you on the school committee? Uh, I did I did go on to a school council when my daughter went into the local school. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm only poking fun, of course, because no, I know no, that you right. wouldn't be... Nah, but I know, had to be really careful, up. right, that I often don't go to the interviews deliberately. Sure. And if I go, I don't talk because I've got to be, you know, like... I know the teacher's like, oh, fuck. Yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd be shitting myself. Some are, you know. Yeah. But I'm not... I'm not that big a rock star like where people not, you know, in, in welfare and yeah. education, but in mainstream education or whatever at the local school. Like, sorry, mm. what? You also won Teacher of the Year, though, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. Was that for Pavilion? 
or like yeah. sort of in relation to. Yeah. yeah. So teacher of the year, start a pavilion, handpicked a yeah, hand principal picked. for Parkville mm-hmm. College. Yep. And now going to be starting the new school. Has it got a name? Can you plug it yet or not really? Um, I haven't asked the Jesuits if I can do oh, it. Oh, that's so, great. That's but, okay. No, but it's good for them. It, um, the name's either going to be Brosnan Learning Centre or Ignatian Learning okay. Centre because that's their... So there was a, a Father Brosnan who worked in custody mm. okay. and Ignatian sort of fits with the founder of the Jesuits. Yeah, sure. So it's going to be something like that. They've just got to land on that name. Mm. But look, I'll, I'll be, my work is as a consultant there. So they're doing it. Yeah. I, I help. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well positioned to be consulting, I believe. <laughs> Thanks. <Yeah. laughs> we um, like to finish every podcast with a surprise question. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that is if you had any words of wisdom or um, if you would like to share some ethos for people who are either starting in the field, potentially changing careers, dipping their toes in different ponds, what would your pieces yeah, okay. of advice be? For people be? starting off, I usually like to say the reason that you're getting into the field is right. So don't lose sight of that. No matter mm. what, you know, sometimes teachers, you have this ideological belief, you become a teacher and you can get in a staff room and get crushed. Because other teachers say, oh, they're fucking this and that or whatever. And that's same in custody. So I like to just tell people that you're right mm. and don't don't lose sight of that. The reason that you're getting into this, hold on to. doesn't matter what anyone else says. Mm. That's my advice. I like that. Mm. I feel like that's a really good one to be able to come back to consistently around, well, why are you here? Why do you do the work yeah, purpose that you is do? pretty important like to have a a to be purpose driven mm. that's yeah i always believe in that you know when i said that it ties into my self-care you know i say mm. it's got to be something i believe in if i was really honest i say i've got to have conviction so i've got to be strong in my belief mm. in it and i don't lose that as long as i don't lose that i'm fine mm. you're still on path mm-hmm. mm. Yep. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's been awesome. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's been really good. I think I've just, I've loved, you know, obviously um, our conversation working at Parkville and working alongside the college, but then to sort of hear from your side of your point of view, the things you experienced, because all of the the, the riot and, and the kids going over to Barwon was all after I left. So mm. it's, um you know, it's hard to hear a lot of from a lot of different people and to really sort of get an understanding and it was a super challenge i, I felt very um i felt very torn at the time because there mm. was an element of feeling like i had not missed out but like left and other people had gone through this event and i wasn't there yeah. because i was so heavily involved in a lot of other sort of events like that so it's just nice to kind of hear it from from your side as well yeah, but thanks for making the time to come and, and join us. If you haven't figured it out, um, Brendan um, powered from Geelong yeah. to Dandenong this <laughs> afternoon to get here for this. So we really appreciate you making the time. And You're welcome. We wish you thanks. all the best with the school. Once it's yeah. up and running, please, you know, if you are, or if uh, Jesuits are happy, we can sort of share sort of um, information about the school and maybe how people can get in contact with the school and refer young people if that's yeah. something that can happen. So we'd be happy to share any of that as well. So, of course. Mm. Yeah. Great. I'm sure you'll be busy. Yeah. 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 Thank you. You're welcome. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. Please like and share the podcast, invite your friends and colleagues into the group and get in touch if there are any guest speakers you'd like to hear from or any topics you'd like covered. Take care and enjoy your week. Thank you.